This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sector Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And this episode is sponsored by our new friends at Relic a full-service advertising agency uniquely structured to serve DMO clients across the country. Their CEO, Adam Stoker, is also the host of another podcast you should be listening to called the Destination Marketing Podcast. Over the past year, he's had names like Chris Fair, John Ricks, and many others join him. And earlier this month, he was kind enough to invite me to the microphone. You can check out the Destination Marketing Podcast at relicagency.com slash content. And now it's on to our show. And today we welcome Gretchen Hall to the DMOU microphone. Gretchen began working at the Little Rock CVB in 2001. Her career began in the operations division as an event coordinator. She provided leadership within Little Rock hospitality industry with her work in celebrating the grand opening of the William J. Clinton Presidential Center and Park, as well as the 50th anniversary of the integration of Little Rock Central High School. She later became the director of merchandising and communications, and she managed public relations, communications, marketing initiatives. She was ultimately named the Bureau's president and CEO in May of 2011. As the official destination marketing organization for the city of Little Rock, the LRCVB also manages, get this, public meeting facilities, including the Statehouse Convention Center, the Robinson Center, the Ottenheimer Hall, First Security Amphitheater, and five downtown public parking facilities. The CVB has 125 full-time employees and another 100 part-time and seasonal staff. During her tenure, Gretchen has managed the $70 million renovation and expansion of the Robinson Performance Hall and Conference Center. She serves on the Executive Committee for Destinations International. She is the president of the Heart of Arkansas Regional Tourism Association. She's the past president of the Arkansas Travel Council and chair of the Arkansas Association of CVBs. In 2017, she was honored as Smart Meeting Magazine's Smart Women in the Doers category, as well as receiving the Arkansas Diamond Award from PRSA the Arkansas chapter, and given the Distinguished Alumni Award by Lyon College. Most recently, she was named the Arkansas Tourism Person of the Year at the Governor's Conference. She was a scholarship athlete in basketball while earning a Bachelor of Arts degree from Lyon College, and later a Master's in Business Administration from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. She is a certified meeting professional and a certified destination management executive. She loves sports and volunteers as a basketball coach at Little Rock Christian Academy. Gretchen Hall, welcome to DMOU. Thank you. Clearly, I need to uh, reduce the size of my bio. No, I don't think so, because I think that speaks volumes to who you are and what you have accomplished in this space since 2001, which is amazing, and which is why we invited you on this call, because really, the Little Rock CVB is way more than a traditional destination marketing organization. And we wanted to kind of get into your head of the pros and cons of how being not just the marketer for the destination, but the manager of so many assets, how that all works for you in Little Rock. And I think it works obviously pretty well. And by the way, congratulations on your new video highlighting the culinary aspects of Little Rock. The video is great, but man, the PR buzz that I've seen in my newsfeed over the past couple of days has been sensational. I think it's been picked up by, I don't know, 30 or 40 media outlets all talking about the culinary coolness of Little Rock. And we've rarely seen that much coverage of just, here's our new video. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Actually, everybody should go to your website and see the video because it's cool. 
<laughs> As our listeners are keenly aware, DMOs are increasingly expanding beyond being simple marketing operations. And that's, again, why, why we have you on. You know, it's a phenomenon that for many has begun just in the past decade. But Visit Little Rock has been managing its community assets for like 50 years or so. So before we get to your three questions, share with us a brief glimpse into how and why your organization became such a behemoth in management. Sure. We actually are turning 50 this year. In a couple of months, our organization was established um, 50 years ago. And at that time, uh, the primary purpose for creating the organization was to grow the meetings market in Little Rock. The city had a municipal auditorium and a small conference center built into that auditorium. And they also had a few hotels in the city The city leaders really saw the benefit of hosting conventions and having conference attendees in town. So through a new piece of state legislation at that time, they created the Advertising and Promotion Commission, which is the governing body of the Little Rock Convention and Visitors Bureau. They enacted a hotel and a restaurant tax to fund the new organization, and they also handed over the management of the municipal auditorium to LRCVB at that time in order to be an asset to market and grow the meetings division. So a marketing agency that manages over 1 million square feet of public facilities. For any DMO out there listening in that's considering wading into this space, and obviously there are a lot of us that are doing that, tell us the advantages and the disadvantages of doing both management and marketing. Sure. So we see the obvious advantages by the simple fact that we control the calendar. We have all the negotiation power as far as rates and dates go. And we control the product and the experience for the attendee and the meeting planner. Um, So those are tremendous advantages when we go to the table from a sales standpoint and we're negotiating contracts with a meeting professional where we can talk about it's our team internally that sells it, books it, and then produces it. And so that really does uh, provide a a plethora of advantages for us. There are disadvantages. Um, It's a heavy lift. It's very expensive to develop and maintain the facilities. So you have to have adequate funding in place. We are um, lucky enough to have very good funding because of the way we are structured Uh, and we have dedicated funding. One of the other disadvantages is really um, a challenge right now is simply finding good staff in the workforce um, with unemployment levels where they are. um, We're having a real hard time trying to manage the right staffing levels at certain positions. Um, And that's really just a disadvantage that has uh, come in the last year or so. Well, let's talk about workforce for a moment because not only do you struggle with finding people who, who want to work in our industry. And, and that's that's a whole other topic that I think we in Destination Marketing need to get our hands around. And some of us are, are taking baby steps and trying to figure out how to make hospitality and service industry jobs look cool. And I've talked to others that are in the management marketing, the big umbrella that you have. And many of them will say to me, the problem is, is you've got the, the marketing people, which are you know the cool kids, right? And then you've got the people who are actually doing the work, flipping rooms and setting up stages and cleaning toilets and all of that. How do you manage the culture of an organization like that that has 
white collar, blue collar, educated, not very. How do you do that? Because I mean, you, you've got 125 people. Right. And that's just the full-time staff. Tell us about managing the culture. Sure. So part of it is having good managers and supervisors in place um, that believe in what you're doing. We have a variety of programs internally and continue to really work on the benefits that we are able to provide to our team members across all lines of the organization. I take particular interest in making sure that our employee policies are policies that are equal and fair to every employee from the top vice president down to our um, janitorial staff as well, because we do have a very, very diverse workforce. We host a variety of team and family gatherings throughout the year. And so we really do try to provide a lot of benefit to the personal aspect of our employees. And we have some tremendous longevity in this organization. But in recent years, we've had a hard time just trying to manage and maintain the level of staff we need, especially when it comes to that operations team. For you, there's the marketing, there's the management, but we first met right after you renovated and reopened the iconic Robinson Performing Arts Center. That was a $70 million project. As I read some background on you, you had dreams of being an architect as a young child. You now have general contractor on your resume. I know this is one of your proudest moments, uh, renovating and reopening the Robinson. Tell us the highlights of being able to have your hands on such an iconic project. It really became a labor of love. Uh, that building, the original building um, that LRCVB first managed, started managing 50 years ago, it's an icon landmark in downtown Little Rock. Anyone that has been around central Arkansas for any length of time has a personal connection and a personal memory to that building. For me, my mother played high school basketball in the basement of that building. Really? Wow. I watched my first Broadway production in that building. I also graduated from high school um, in that building. I've watched my niece dance in the Nutcracker. So for my family alone, we had three generations of personal connections to the building. And so it really had to be saved. There was no question about it. It was 75 plus years old. It not only had tremendous value from a meeting and event facility, but it was more importantly, it had an immense value toward the quality of life for everyone in central Arkansas. We were extremely blessed to have the financial ability to undergo the major overhaul that the building needed. And we were able to create something that our entire community and really our entire state can be proud of. Now that we've finished that project, um, we are bringing bigger Broadway and more concerts and events to our city than we have ever seen previously. So it really is a quality of life issue for residents, possibly more than visitors, correct? Absolutely. And so... You know, your organization, I guess, maybe in its very DNA has always, well, maybe not 50 years ago when it formed, but over the past 10 years or so at least, has transitioned from being about attracting visitors to, to being that quality of place, quality of life for residents as well as visitors. We really wear both of those hats. The way we're funded by a lodging tax and a restaurant tax, we are keenly aware that a lot of our residents 
pay that tax. And so creating quality of place and uh, enhancing quality of life for our residents is absolutely part of our mission. And it also goes part and parcel with increasing the tourism quality and marketing to the leisure aspect. Yeah, it's interesting. The restaurant tax, uh, so few states allow that. And so few states allow it to be used the way Arkansas has been using it. Is that the, the secret sauce for Arkansas and Little Rock? Bringing hotel and restaurant tax together is powerful. And it allows you to do the things like the Robinson, right? Yes, absolutely. It has definitely been the secret sauce for Little Rock to be able to fund and also maintain the facilities that we have. Without that restaurant tax, we would not have been able to build the Statehouse Convention Center. We certainly wouldn't have been able to put $70 million into the Robinson Center renovation and create a world-class performing arts theater. So that restaurant tax is a larger portion of our budget than the lodging tax, and it really does benefit the residents of our community, and then also helps us to do a lot of additional sales and marketing efforts that we would not be able to do without it. So tell us about reopening night. And that had to be just such a rush. Yeah. So we really reopened in kind of a full week fashion. But the actual opening day, we had the governor on stage. We had our mayor on stage, a lot of public figures and and elected officials. We had all of our staff and all of our industry partners kind of fill the theater. The theater holds 2,200 people. And it was just a really beautiful day. We had a lot of pent-up demand where citizens really could not wait to get in and and see their, their theater. It was the community's theater. We hosted tours. We had people crawling all throughout that building for the entire day when we cut the ribbon and opened the house with no performance. It was simply tours and come see your new facility. And then the following day, we started in with concerts and the symphony was the first to perform uh, because that is their house. We also brought in Broadway. The first Broadway season was anchored by Phantom of the Opera, which had never been in Arkansas previously. We were not able to host that show in our old house. We had concerts like Don Henley and a variety of others uh, throughout that first kind of two week time period. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds like it. A number of years ago, a local couple, philanthropists, wrote a really significant check in Madison to build a brand new performing arts center. And I bumped into him one day and I said, so do you have seats to every performance? And he says, well, yeah. I said, that's pretty cool. I said, that's that's a nice thank you for the money that you've put into this facility. And he says, the best part, I have a parking space underneath the center. (laughs) He was more jazzed about the parking space than he was about the seats. What about you? Do you have seats for every one of the uh, performances? Uh, I attend most. Um, And I, too, have a very special parking place because our office building is right next door. That's great. I love it. All right. Question number three. One of your most recent accomplishments, and this was one of the reasons that we uh, wanted to get you on the show, is you helped shepherd the creation of a downtown entertainment district where visitors and residents alike can carry beer, wine, and mixed drinks in designated public spaces. So when we launched DMOU last summer, we called to see if we could get you on the show. And you said the same thing that the police in Little Rock said in an article on opening weekend, which was, let's wait and see. (laughs) So you're six months or so in, 
how did you achieve this? How is it going? It was a process. The first step was drafting and passing a piece of state legislation to give individual cities the power to establish these designated districts and set specific regulations at the municipal level. So that happened um, in the state legislature early 2019. Once that was passed and approved, then we began working with city leaders in Little Rock, the Little Rock Police Department, and several bar and restaurant owners to discuss boundaries and rules, regulations, et cetera. We talked about things that um, maybe gave the police department some hesitation. Um, We did a lot of research on other entertainment districts as well. And we really got a lot of buy-in from all partners with few naysayers. Once we kind of fleshed out all of the boundaries, the rules and regulations to kind of begin an official district in Little Rock, We helped draft a city ordinance, and the uh, city board passed that ordinance in the summer of last year to establish the district. We really made some promises to take a, quote, soft approach, if you will, and let the district simply establish itself organically. We didn't over-program it with street closures and concerts every weekend. We added a little bit of soft programming around it, and we really saw this as an opportunity to add an amenity to our original downtown area that's just a block from the convention center, but it was also an area that has seen a lot of additional competition in recent years because our downtown has really sprawled in development, and now there's a lot of really great, unique downtown neighborhoods. So the River Market District, which was kind of our first original entertainment type district with nightlife, was starting to experience a little lag in the number of traffic and patrons uh, to that district. And so we felt like this was an opportunity to kind of give it a little spur. And it's so close to our convention district. And so we took that soft approach. We're now six months in. I'm pleased to say that we've experienced no issues from LRPD's standpoint. They've really great partners with us from the get-go. Cool. Um, We have seen increased foot traffic during special events. We've seen a lot more collaboration with some of our local retailers and restaurant owners and attractions, which that's kind of exciting. And then we've also seen an increased interest in developing new events within the district. And so we're hoping to slowly create more outdoor seating areas within the district to create more sense of place, We're also hoping to establish some more consistent programming for the district in in 2020. You know, it's interesting. You said that you were surprised at the lack of pushback from residents and community leaders. I mean, you're deep in the Bible Belt. And I think most of us would assume this is something that you're going to be able to maybe get away with in the Pacific Northwest or in the Northeast. But but in the Bible Belt, no, this will never happen. (laughs) Tell me... What's behind that? Is it that Little Rock is cosmopolitan enough as a community that it kind of belies the Bible Belt stigma? I think it is. I think Little Rock is a pretty progressive city in a fairly rural state. Mm -hmm. And so we did have some pushback. But I'll tell you, one of our biggest champions was a young lieutenant in the LRPD police force that is assigned to the River Market. There was already a substation, a police substation in the River Market. And he sat at the meetings and he said, look, these are the concerns that we have, but 
these aren't insurmountable. We understand the benefits it's going to bring to this district and the businesses, and we want to find a way to say yes, and we want to find a way to support you. And that attitude, and our mayor was very supportive. We've got a new, young, aggressive mayor, and he wants to expand nightlife in downtown Little Rock and really throughout the entire city. So we had a lot of leadership and support from the get-go. And and we made changes to how we structured the boundaries. We started with a pretty small, tight footprint that was at the request of LRPD. We have some wristbands and identification pieces, a uniform cup that we use to make it easier to identify who's drinking an adult beverage outside of an actual brick-and-mortar store. But with that wristband, it makes it easily identifiable for LRPD to know that that person, their ID has been checked. So there were some safety precautions in the in the rules and regulations that we put in, but we really had a lot of support from the top down to begin with. Well, mayoral support obviously is key, but I think police support, I mean, there's something there. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about my tenure in Madison. In the late 80s, early 90s, we managed the Taste of Madison, which was a two-day food festival with all of our local vendors, 60 or so food vendors, four stages, six beer gardens, all around the Capitol Square. I mean, it's it's a hell of, a, of an event. And all of a sudden, in like year, I don't know, 92, 93, a new city attorney came on board at the city and decided he was going to enforce the law. The state law says you cannot have a beer garden unless you have it double fenced which is fine for if you're out in the field. And I get the double fence thing because, you know, so you can't be somebody who's of age and then hand a beer across over the, the, the fence to somebody who's a minor. And we get all that. But in an urban environment, that doesn't work. Right. And so I was standing with one of the lead police. I think he was one of the captains uh, who was doing the event with me. And we were standing looking at one of the beer gardens and he just was shaking his head. You know, at five o'clock as things are starting to wind down, he says, I have never seen drunker people in my life. He goes, these people are going in the beer garden and they're not leaving. They're not eating. They're not walking. They're not because they know that if they leave, they may not get back in because the beer garden is now so tight. And he said, tell me when you're going in front of the council. And he goes, and I'll come with you. And he did. And he went to council and he goes, you've got to stop this. This double fence thing does not work. He goes, we had more arrests this year than we've had in the past 10. Because the people finally, when the event ends, spill out and they can't even walk because they've been in this beer garden for six hours. Right. You know, having the police on your side is, wow. I mean, what a powerful indicator. We get why the law is the law but it's not working. And for having them say that is, is, is pretty powerful. So very yeah, cool. Definitely. So your thoughts on the future of the entertainment district, more of them or expanding, or are you good where you are right now? I think for 2020, we're going to focus, like I said, on creating maybe a few more of the placemaking opportunities within the current district, and yeah. then also create some more consistent programming for it. Um, I think in the future, we will look to expand it. We already have interest to expand it, uh, but we're trying to maintain that little bit of an organic approach to it because that's what we promised to begin with. And so far, it, it has worked six months in and no real issues and, and only growth from here. That is so cool. Well, congratulations. So it's time for the bonus round question. When we are young, we want to be, I don't know, firefighters, astronauts, probably not destination marketers, right? 
You wanted to be, you wanted to be an architect, but then basketball stole your eye. So tell us the story of the girl who accepted a scholarship to play hoops and how that brought you to leading an exceptionally diverse organization. Well, the running joke in, in my family, I have an older brother that's five and a half years older than me. He always had a summer job growing up while I traveled across the country playing basketball. <laughs> and so he used to tease me all the time saying, you're never going to be able to get a real job because all you can put on a resume is I play basketball. Right. That was always the running joke in our family. So indeed, putting that on my resume, I was able to land a free education at a top academic institution. Um, so I, I went to college on basketball scholarship. I felt like that was kind of my first job. And moving forward, Basketball then led me to my first real paid job, which was a summer job in Phoenix, Arizona. I reached out to one of the companies that ran some of the national tournaments that I had participated in for years and said, I want to come to work for you. I want to learn how to run these tournaments. I always played in them, had a great time, and I want to learn more about the behind the scenes. And we set up an interview and they offered me a job on the spot. So I took deep satisfaction in calling my brother to let him know <laughs> that all I needed was basketball on my resume to land the first job. <laughs> then you fast forward years later after I graduated and my first job at the Little Rock Convention and Visitors Bureau was on the operations side, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I didn't really even know what the tourism industry was. I certainly wasn't looking to get into it at that time. But sometimes, as luck would have it, the Convention Bureau and Convention Center needed someone that could talk and understand the needs of sporting events that were taking place in the Convention Center. So my basketball experience seemed to be kind of the perfect match. Um, so I once again proudly called my brother to say, you know, not only did I get that first job, but now I've gotten a second job, and this one's a full-time job with benefits simply because I played basketball. And so he has eaten crow from that comment for years. And this year I'll be able to celebrate my 19th year with the Convention Bureau. So I got lucky and stumbled into this world and certainly love the travel and tourism industry now and will probably never leave it. Yeah, once it gets us, it holds on tight, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. Well, that's a great story. Gretchen, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share such an inspirational story with us. I I would not be at all surprised if the Little Rock model doesn't become one of the ones that we all aspire to in the coming years, because you've got it going on down there and it's fun to watch. It is unique and, and we certainly uh, do a lot of cool stuff here. Yeah. All right. That's it for this edition of the Resurrected DMOU. Tell your friends and peers, this is where the best and the brightest get together for inspirational stories for DMO pros. And thanks too to our sponsor, Relic, a full-service ad agency based in Provo, Utah. Their CEO, Adam Stoker, hosts a podcast you should add to your playlist called the Destination Marketing Podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other platforms, including relicagency.com slash content. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services for the DMO world, plus links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. 
Until next time.